You're listening to a special guest speaker on the Calvary Brighton podcast. So uh, about 10 years ago, I was uh, traveling to Salt Lake City. And it just so happened that a friend of mine, Tom, uh, I worked with him. He was traveling to Salt Lake City as well. separately doing separate business things, you know, and I got to the hotel. It was uh, in the late afternoon. I said, man, I wonder what Tom's doing. I'm going to give him a call. So I called him up and I said, hey, Tom, what are you doing? Let's, let's go out to dinner or do something. And he said, no, nah, I can't. I'm busy. What do you mean you're busy? It's, it's Wednesday night. The there's nothing going on. I mean, it's Salt Lake City. They roll up the sidewalks, right? He said, now, now I can't go. And I kept pushing him. And he said, I said, well, what are you doing? He says, I'm going to church. It's Wednesday. It's Ash Wednesday. I'm going to church. And I said, I'll go with you. And he goes, he kind of hesitated for a second. He goes, well, okay. Um, I said, okay, well, come pick me up. You know, so this was like four. He said, so I'll pick you up around six. I said, I'm fine. So I said, Ash Wednesday, what, what the heck is that, right? I better look it up. I better find out what's going on with this, right? So I, I got online and I was looking up Ash Wednesday, did a little bit of research. And you know, kind of the origins back in the early church, right? New believers, uh, when they got saved, they put ashes on their forehead. And it was a sign of devotion, a personal devotion and repentance, right? But it was also a good sign for the other Christians because they knew, oh, hey, here, this is a new Christian and, you know, he, he is just learning how to follow after Christ, right? So they gave him extra sympathy and extra grace, right? So it was kind of a sign. So I thought, okay, well, this is pretty cool. You know, I, I'm gonna gonna go go with this. I think I can get behind this. It's kind of this gonna be kind of interesting. So Tom picked me up, and we went to the Cathedral of the Madeline, and it was right in downtown Salt Lake City, literally a stone's throw away from the main Mormon temple. It's right downtown, right? It's like 300 East Temple Road or something. It was crazy. The cathedral was amazing, it was spectacular. I mean, the, the thing was incredible, inside and out. It was very ornate, very beautiful. And so we went inside and sat down, you know, and we're waiting and it's kind of looking around and, you know, and, and noticed that there were scriptures on the front of the church. And uh, there was this, this just amazing statue of the Apostle Paul right up there in front. And there was a scripture off to the side of it. And it said, it was Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. And it said, But even we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. And I thought that was kind of funny. I mean, it was right next door to the Mormon temple. Uh, You know, I can't imagine one of God's angels, right, or anyone else actually presenting another gospel, especially in Salt Lake City. You know, it was kind of in your face, right? They were saying, no, this is the gospel 
what you have is not, you know. Um, but it was built in 1909. It was incredible, just an incredible, beautiful um, cathedral. And so the service was very traditional, right? Um, I was able, but I was able to see God's heart in it. I was. Uh, it was, all in all, it was, it, was a, it was a really good, it was a really good service. Now, at the end of the service, everyone lined up, right, to go to the front and get ashes on your forehead. I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this too, right? So I got in line and got, went down there and you know, got down to the front and, you know, the priest uh, dips his, his thumb in, in this, this oily ashes mixture and puts it on your forehead, the shape of the cross. And he says, you know, from ashes you came, from ashes you'll return. Right? Uh, that was kind of cool, right? So we left uh, after the service, and it was over, and we're sitting in the car. We're, we're driving down the road, and I flipped down the visor because I wanted to see. Yeah, you know, he can't see what it is. I want to see the ashes on my forehead. All right, so I flipped down the visor and looked at the mirror, and as I looked at the mirror, God started speaking to me. And he said, he said, David, hey, the ashes on your forehead are a sign of repentance. And that's good. But what are you going to do tomorrow when the ashes are washed away? What is going to be the sign that you're living a repentant life? I, I didn't really have a clear answer for that, right? It was kind of confusing. It was kind of, it was kind of convicting, but kind of confusing. I really wasn't sure what God was saying with that. So, repentance, repent, right? John the Baptist, when he was preaching in the wilderness, he had a simple message, right? <laughs> Basically, repent. Right? The kingdom of God has come near to you. When Jesus started his ministry, that was really the theme of his ministry too. In fact, the first word he ever said was repent. Paul the apostle had the same message. In Acts 17, when he preached to Athens, in Acts 17, verse 30, he says, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance... But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. So what does repent mean anyway? Right? I, when we think about the word repent, we associate it with our salvation experience, right? It's a time where we heard the message of the gospel and we made a decision to turn from our sinful lives and follow after Jesus, right? We know what repentance means, right? It means to turn away from our sins and turn towards Jesus, right? Now, if you ask me if I repented of my sins, I thought, oh, absolutely. I would I tell you, absolutely I did, right? It was back in 1969. I repented and asked Jesus into my heart and life, I was seven years old, 
And I believe right there, right then, I was saved. Right? I repented of my sins. And although I got saved at the age of seven, I had not gone past that salvation experience. Right? If I had died the next day, I'd, I'd have gone to heaven. I believe that. God honored that prayer and came into my life, and I was saved. But there wasn't much past that. It's kind of like the believers in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. So if you could, turn with me to Acts 19. Acts chapter 19. Start, starting in verse 1. So, so Paul, the apostle, he'd been... Going on, going around and uh, ministering, right? As he's on his missionary journey, so he was traveling around. And it says, uh, you know, that he was hanging around with Apollos. This guy, Apollos, was an amazing speaker. But Apollos, he was off, went off to Corinth, as it says in chapter 19, verse 1. So it says, as it happened while Paul was in Corinth, that Paul, passed, passing through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And he finds some disciples there, right? There's some people that are already believers. Wow, this is cool. And, but as he was talking to them, he asks, he goes, hey, wait. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we haven't heard so much that there, whether there is a Holy Spirit. I didn't. What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about. And he said to them, well, until what baptism were you baptized? And they said, well, into John's baptism. Right? Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who come after him, that is, on Jesus Christ. Right? Paul, John the Baptist he baptized a baptism of repentance. Basically, it was a salvation experience. So, right, you need to repent of your sins, give your life over to Jesus. And that's what these, these new believers, these disciples did. But they'd never really gone past that salvation experience. They were just kind of stuck there. Basically, these disciples were saying, we've repented of our sins, but... We didn't even know there was anything past that, right? And that happens to a lot of folks, right? They, they, they're in a church or, or whatever, and they, they pray and ask Jesus into their heart, but they never go past that. They, they didn't even know, right? And, and, and that, was, that was me, right? Although I got saved at seven, I didn't know there was anything past Salvation. I didn't know there's anything past, you know, repenting of my sins, getting saved. Jesus was the one who I prayed to after I came to know him, right? He's the one I prayed to when I was about ready to get busted for something I did. Oh, God, help me not to get caught for this or um, help the punishment to be less. Or, or when I was uh, got to school and, of course, 
I wasn't great in school, so you know, when I got to school and I didn't study for the test, oh God, help me with this test, right? Help me get good grades on this, this test. Je Jesus was the one who got me out of jams. Um, and he did quite regularly. Of course, some of them he didn't. But uh, let's just say I made a lot of promises to Jesus growing up, right? There is a lot of, okay, God, get me out of this thing, and I'll do better, or I'll promise this, or I'll, I'll do this, right? But I hadn't really got past this initial repentance. So what was God asking me, right? When I got out of this church in Salt Lake City, what was he asking me? What did he mean by, what is the sign that you're living a repentant life? Could it be that repent means a whole lot more than just salvation? It means just that initial repentance. Maybe it means a lot more than that. Well, let's look at that a little bit more. Turn, turn with me back a few pages, back to Acts chapter 2. So Acts chapter 2. So let's get a little bit of context, right? If you go back a couple of verses, Acts, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 12, uh, Jesus had just ascended into heaven, right? He'd been hanging out with them for a little while. He ascended up into heaven. And so the disciples were by themselves now. Jesus had already gone. And it says here, in starting in verse 12, uh, verse 12, right? It says, And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey. And when they had entered, they came up to the upper room and, and where they were staying. And it was Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. These all continued with one accord and in prayer and supplication, and with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples. Together, the number of the names was about 120, right? So the church itself at this point was very small in that day, right? The church in total, right? The whole, if we had to say the whole Christian church at this point was 120 disciples. And that's it, right? That's all there was. So it's kind of context. Hey, we got 120 disciples. Fast forward, 50 days later, um, after the Passover, uh, it's now Pentecost, right? The, 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 Festival of Weeks, right? So this was one of the, the festivals where everybody was required to come to Jerusalem. So Jerusalem was packed, a lot of people. And Acts chapter 2, that's where we'll, we'll be in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And it says, and then they returned, oh, sorry. It says, Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, 
There was one accord in one place, right? So all these 120 disciples, they're all in one spot. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a, of a rushing wind. And it filled the hell house where they were sitting. And then what appeared what to be divided were tongues of fire. One sat on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. So God gives these 120 disciples, these Christians, the power of the Holy Spirit, right? And then it says in chapter 2, verse 5 and 6, And there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation, under heaven, right? Remember, this is the Pentecost. There's all these folks here from everywhere coming here to, to worship during, this, during Pentecost. And the multitude came together when they heard this sound, because they heard the sound of this wind, and they heard all these people speaking in their own language. It says that they, they, they were confused because everyone heard them speak in their own language. So God does a miracle, right? He draws a crowd, which is very cool. That God drew this crowd together, but he does a miracle. Not only did the disciples speak in languages they didn't know, but everyone who heard them speak heard them speak in their own language. Because there was many different nationalities there, right? This was, this was an incredible miracle. So what happened next? Peter, my buddy, right? He's, he's different now. He, you know, he was one that was kind of waffly and, and you know, denied Jesus and all these other things, but now he had the Holy Spirit in him. And he stands up and preaches. And that's, that's in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. It says, but Peter, standing up in, with the eleven, raised his voice and said to the men of Judea, and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Pay attention to what I'm going to say. So Peter preaches. You know what? It wasn't a five-point sermon. <laughs> in fact, it was quite simple. It probably only lasted a couple of minutes, right? We see this here in Acts, and if we read it out loud, maybe it would last two or three minutes. But he just told them, he preached that Jesus was the Messiah. And he told them, right? It says here in verse 36, he goes through this, this sermon and it says, Therefore, let, the let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Right? I, I've seen this kind of thing happen before, right? I've been to a Billy Graham crusade and you know, get thousands of people there and Billy Graham gets up there and he preaches this message and you know, if you had to if you analyzed it, it's like it was the same kind of thing. It was a simple message. But God's Holy Spirit moved just like he did here. And the Holy Spirit convicted these people. This whole crowd, God's Spirit, speak to them. And it says in verse 37, it says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. 
and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what should we do? And Peter responds with the answer, what should we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and for your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, said, be saved from this perverse generation. Right? Peter's message to them was repent. Turn away from your sinful ways and give your life to Jesus. And it says in Acts 2.41, it says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. That day about 3,000 souls of them were added to the church. Right? Boom. The church went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. Crazy. Right? So... Let's see, right? So now these, these new Christians are saved. They've repented. How was their life different? Right? And it says in verse 42, it says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Right? So one of the things that some of the things that we see that were different about these people, these new believers, is, is that they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, right? They were steadfastly every day. They were being taught by the apostles the truth of the gospel. This was happening every day, right? It would be like today, they're daily reading God's word. They're searching the scriptures. They're they're digging into God's word every day. It says they were in fellowship. They, they continually gathered together as believers to encourage each other in their newfound faith, right? They, they gathered together in fellowship. In fellowship, this word is koinonia. It's not just like, hey, we get together for an hour and hang out and go away, but it was deep fellowship, right? They, they were there for each other completely. They were also breaking bread. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, like, you know, sharing a meal, but they had communion. That's what this means. They were communion, right? They were regularly getting together and remembering Jesus' sacrifice to them. They did that through communion. And it says they were in prayer, right? They prayed about everything. When they had a problem, they handed it over to Jesus, they prayed for boldness to share the gospel. They prayed for God to provide for them. They prayed for each other. They had a deep concern for their other fellow believers, right? They, these, these folks were, were miraculously changed. In verse 43 through 45, it says, Then fear came on every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles, now, all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they sold their possessions and their goods, and they divided among all as anyone had need. So another thing that marked these new believers is that they gave, right? They shared what they had with 
others around them. And it represents a trust that God's going to provide. So it's no, no longer, right, in Acts 5, they said no, no one really said that these, the things they had were their own, but they, but they gave it completely, their possessions completely to God. Now today, maybe we wouldn't say, okay, I'm selling everything, every time, but we don't have a tight hold on them, right? We're not saying, no, no, this is mine. We say, well, everything is God's, and if God shows me to give, I will give. God will provide. It says in verse 46, So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Right? These new believers were unified. They continued daily in one accord. They they set aside their differences. They didn't let any petty issues divide them, right? They, they set all those little things aside, and they said, man, we're, we're going to be unified as believers together. And it says they were filled with gladness. Verse 47 says, and then they were praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily to those who were saved. They praised God. They gave God credit for all the things that he had done, everything that God had given to them, they're, they're praising God for. And it says, and the Lord added daily to those who are being saved. So what did it mean when God said to me, what is the sign that you're living a repentant life? It, was the, it, it meant that there was changes that were going to be happening, evident. Just like these new believers, right? There was a change in what they were. But Peter pegged it when he preached again another, another three-minute sermon, right? In Acts 3.19, he says, Repent, every one of you, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. So a repentant life is a converted life. Now, to be converted means to be made suitable for a new purpose. These new believers were changed, right? We saw that. We saw in all the things that they did. They were changed. That was an evidence of their repentant life. It'd be, it'd be like converting a garage into a bedroom. Right? It might look the same on the outside, but in the, on the inside, it was completely different. Never going to be used for a garage again, right? This is different. They were converted. That was the way that they were showing that they were living a repentant life. Like it says in, first, or in 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... They're a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Or like Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And this life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave his life for me, right? Who loved me and gave his life for me. So, 
As we read through the book of Acts, we see amazing things that God did, right? If you continue to read through this book, you see some amazing things that these disciples did. There were missionaries' journeys that spread the gospel throughout Europe and Asia. Tens of thousands were saved. The salvation message was shared to the uttermost parts of the world. It was an incredible work of the Holy Spirit. It's very exciting, right? We see this repentant life in these new believers, and we see amazing, incredible things happening. And you know, that, this became my story as well. Uh, on Saturday, September 19th, 1981, a friend of mine asked me if I wanted to go to a concert. Now, remember, I was a Christian. I was saved at seven. But for like, but I didn't really know there was anything past salvation, really, right? And a friend of mine said, hey, you want to go to a concert? I said, yeah, I'll go with you. He goes, it's at a church. Okay, I'm not afraid of no church, right? Yeah, I'm a Christian, I'll go, right? So he picked me up, we went to, the, went to this church, it was a big church, it was Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, right? So we get there, it, the, the, this concert thing started at 7, and we got there a little bit late, about 6.45, and so we get there, and man, the parking lot's packed. And we go, go into the sanctuary, and there's no place to sit. It is just packed out. So we find a place down, down on the floor and, and sat down on the floor, and, you know... Um, this guy comes out, this guy named uh, Randy Ziegler, he comes out and he prays, and then this guy comes out and does these Christian songs. The guy's name was Bo McDougal. No one heard of him since then, right? Christian brother did, do, um, did this message, and then Randy came out and, and preached the gospel, right? But before the church, the service started, I was sitting on the floor, and the, you know, and there's this this uh, young girl next to me, and she was telling me her story and how she'd become a Christian. And, you know, but since she became a Christian, her husband said, forget you, I'm out of here, and left her, bailed out. And she was not sad. She was happy. She had joy. It's like, what the heck? This is weird. So as he was preaching this message, I started, God started showing me, but well, wait a second, there's a lot more than just getting saved. There's something past this salvation. There, there's a life. Oh my gosh, there's a life in Jesus that you can live, kind of like these disciples did. And so right there, man, in the church, I said, man, I want what these people want. I'm not sure exactly what all this is, but I see it. I want it. And right there, right at seven, Jesus became my Savior. But at 19, Jesus became Lord of my life. Right? He became more than just my Savior. He became my Lord, right? The Holy Spirit came upon me. And I started and started proactively changing me from the inside out. 
It was very exciting. It was really cool. Jesus showed up every single day. My life was changing by leaps and bounds. He was clearing out sin. I was laying aside weights and hindrances, things that were slowing me down. It was incredible, right? We started a Bible study in our house, and I, I, I started a Bible study in our house, and people started coming. And the, we, we opened the Word, and we, we taught the Word, and people started growing. And people brought non-believers in there, and they were getting saved. It was incredible. It was like the, the book of Acts. We prayed for boldness to share the gospel. And then we said, okay, while we pray for boldness, let's go out witnessing. Grabbed a handful of tracks, went down to the beach and started witnessing. And God, through his Holy Spirit, brought people to us. And man, they were getting saved. It was incredible. It was incredible. Miracles were happening. Special words of knowledge, amazing fellowship. It was crazy. It was the book of Acts in living color. It was no longer in black and white like we read or man, it was real. It was happening. God showed up, right? This was this was a sign of a repentant life, was God's Holy Spirit working and doing amazing things in my life. So back to the Bible. What happened after the book of Acts? Right? Paul the Apostle now at the book of Acts, if you read the very end, says, you know, he was locked up in prison. He was no longer going around doing missionary journeys, encouraging the churches. And the churches themselves, they started getting established, right? There, the disciples, they just got down to the business of doing church, right? There were elders and deacons, and it got very well organized. Things to, seemed to be going great. However, little by little, the excitement started to wear off. There was not a marked turning point. It was more like a slow drift away from the grace that saved them. Almost unnoticeable at first, right? The old ways started to creep back into their lives. It's kind of like the seeds that were sown among the thorns in Mark 4.19. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things entered in and started choking out the word. And it became unfruitful. And, you know, we kind of read about that. If you kind of look between the lines of a lot of the letters that Paul wrote, he addressed a lot of these issues that were coming up, right? If we look, he's telling them, Man, like in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he says, I beg you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercy of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Christians, right? He's talking to believers. He says, and don't be conformed to this world, 
but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. See, many of the disciples, though they'd been Christians for a while, they started conforming back to the world. They were no longer living a sacrificial life. That repentant life that they had started to fade away. Quite honestly, that was me as well. Somewhere between three and four years of me being a Christian, I stopped pedaling my spiritual bike. Right, I put my feet up on the handlebars and just started coasting. I had a lot of momentum, man. I was going fast, but my feet were up, were no longer pedaling my bike. You know, we all started getting busy. And then the Bible study started on Saturday nights. It started losing track. And finally, we just stopped doing the Bible study. I still went to church on Sundays and Wednesday nights. But other than that, I barely cracked the Bible open. Besides that. I can remember being in church on one of these nights of Sunday morning and Pastor Chuck was teaching probably a powerful message and I was like, I've, I've heard this before. I've already heard this. Blah, blah, blah. I've already heard it. Now, it wasn't that the Holy Spirit wasn't speaking to me. It was that I wasn't listening to him. My spiritual hearing had become dull. I was drifting away, right? I was no longer pedaling. I was coasting, and I was slowing down. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1 says, tells us that we must pay the most careful attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. And that's kind of what I was doing. I was kind of drifted away. Like, like the church in Laodicea. I'd become kind of lukewarm. Revelations 3, Revelation 3, 14 through 19 kind of speaks to where I was at. It says, And Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you're neither hot or cold. I wish you were either one. I wish you were either one. But because you are lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about ready to vomit you out of my mouth. You say I'm rich and I have acquired wealth and I don't need anything, right? I, that was kind of where I was my relationship. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need more. Got enough knowledge. I don't need anything else. But you don't realize that you're wretched and pitiful and poor and blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. White clothes to wear that you may cover your shameful nakedness. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see those who I love I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. 
that's where I kind of been. I've kind of become lukewarm. The crazy thing is, like three or four years later, I was at Calvary Chapel as a Sunday night, and I was standing, literally standing in the same spot on the floor that I was four years earlier when I gave Jesus lordship of my life. Same spot, exactly the same spot. And one of these new believers that come, had come to Christ during our witnessing, during our home study time, you know, came up to me and he was super excited. He's telling me how God's doing all these great things and how he's, God's calling him into the mission field and, you know, and, and this guy was on fire for Jesus. It, it was so irritating, right? And I, I was frustrated, and I started complaining to the Lord. I, man, God, I tell you, I've been a Christian four years. This guy has been a Christian for like 18 months, and you're using him somewhere else. Why are you using me? I want to be a missionary. I want to do all this stuff. And he kind of pulled me aside, and he said, David, the reason why I'm not using you is you're not following after me. You're lukewarm. You're not. <laughs> when was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you prayed? I'm like, gosh, dang. Right? I had drifted away to the point where it was so slow I didn't even really realize it. But God showed me right there and you need to repent. You need to live a repentant life. You need to go back to where you were before. And right there in that same spot that I gave Jesus my lordship of my life, I, I renewed my commitment to him. So I go back to the question that God asked me on Ash Wednesday, so many years before. So David, the ashes you put on your forehead are a sign of repentance, and that's good. But when the ashes are washed away, what's the sign of your repentant life? A repentant life is not a one-and-done experience. And, it, and it's not ashes on your forehead wearing sackcloth and walking around with a sad face all the time. A repentant life is one that's a daily walk with Jesus. Let, let's be honest. If we all looked at ourselves, where are we today? Each one of us, where are we today? Are we filled with joy and being led by the power of the Holy Spirit? 
walking daily with Jesus, just like the disciples in Acts chapter 2, just like me when I first got saved? Are we devoted to reading the Bible? Are we spending time in it? Are we, are we being stirred by God's Holy Spirit? Is he speaking to us? Are we in fellowship? Are we praying? Are we seeing the miracles of God working daily in our life? Do we have a repentant life? Or are we finding ourselves lukewarm in our relationship with Jesus? Have we left our first love? Do we need that fire of the Holy Spirit to be rekindled back into our hearts and lives? Are we in need of repentance? In speaking his, to his disciples, remember, Revelation, the first part of Revelation, is Jesus speaking to the churches. And in Revelation 3.20, he says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and I will restore my fellowship with him. Today, if you will hear the voice of the Lord, don't harden your heart. He's speaking to you. He wants you to live a repentant life. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you right now, Father God. We thank you. Thank you so much, God, for your great love for us that you loved us, you died for us. You died that we would have an, a, a life that's ultimately in heaven, but even here on earth, a life that's abundant, that's filled with joy, that's filled with your spirit working in us, God. I pray that you would show each of us, God, where we are at and draw us near to you. Help us, God, to live a repentant life before you, seeking you each and every day, being focused on pleasing you, God. Draw us near to you, we pray. And we thank you. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.